So, hey, we're really glad you're here. Um, and I wanted to highlight those people for you because we're here for you. Um, we want to get to know you. Mizzou is the place where I met my wife, Emily. Um, she's in the back there, too. She doesn't have to stand up. Don't look. But she's wonderful and pretty, and she's putting her head down now. Um, but it's also the place, Mizzou, where God really changed my life. This is the place where God changed my story, the way that I see the world. And it's part of why I love doing college ministry so much, because you guys, you have so much time, you have so much opportunity, so much talent. And if you let it happen, this is a time when your lives will be changed. So I'm excited to have you guys here. I'm excited to get to know you. Um, a little bit more about myself. I graduated from Mizzou with a degree in English. Just out of curiosity, how many other English majors do we have in the room? Raise your hands. We're proud. Wow. There's like eight of us. That's more than I expected. Was it all girls? Any, any male English majors? Hey, there you go. I like you guys. Good for you. You won't get a job, but you know. <laughs> now something... <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. Something you need to know about English majors. We... Really, 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 really suck at math. It's true. We suck at math. Um, and that means we've got to be creative in our math classes. Um, for instance, I, I like the answer to this question, find X. There, here it is. You see? Uh, it's, now look at the composition. It's a short sentence, concise, very clear, clearly right. So I appreciate that. Um, my wife likes to remind me that I don't even know how many problems I have because I'm bad at math. So if someone wants to get me this, this cool sweater, I'd love that. I don't have one yet. Um, but I'm not, here, <laughs> I'm not here to talk about my mathematical disabilities, though they're great. Um, I'm here to talk about something that should matter to all English majors. Something that if you're an English major, you've got to be great at. But I think it's something that even if you're not an English major, if you're just a person, it's vitally vitally important for you and that something is stories now when i say story or i say stories i'm not talking about made up fiction i'm not talking about your latest netflix binge you know breaking bad or grand girl whatever you're into um i'm talking about true stories or at least the stories that we believe to be true. The stories that we tell as a society. The narratives that we use to make sense of our lives. Explain why we wake up. Why we are who we are. Why we do what we do. Why we dream what we dream. Stories that tell us where we're from. Who we are. Where we're going. Let me explain to you with a story. Um, it's 1961. And President John F. Kennedy is standing before an entirely skeptical Congress. And he is asking for the impossible. You see, four years earlier, Russia had sent uh, the first unmanned satellite, Sputnik, into space. And ever since then, the American space program was lagging behind. And so here's President Kennedy, and he's asking Congress for the impossible. It's impossible because the technology doesn't exist, the money isn't there. And so to get Congress on board for this, he tells them a story. He tells them a story. And this is what the story is. He says, we're a part of a nation, a part of an America. Our forefathers survived by their ingenuity. 
They survived by sacrificing. They beat all of the odds. They never threw in the towel. And we're children of their story. And now we can't throw in the towel. We have to dare to do the impossible. And his dream, the impossible dream, was that we would put a man on the moon by the end of that decade. Now that might sound silly to you. You know that this happened. But in its time, this captivated the nation. Uh, Congress, they fully funded NASA. Uh, if this was today, we would be having, you know, hashtag moon man. There'd be BuzzFeed articles that say, you know, the best seven sports ball games to play in moon gravity. We would be into this, okay? It's a big deal. And so about a year later, President Kennedy, he's going to the headquarters of NASA, and he's checking in on his story. How is it unfolding? And when he gets there, he finds the bigwigs and the geniuses. They're all of one mind. They all have a purpose. People who used to feel like furniture there, now they feel like they've got a mission. So he's on the way to a meeting at the headquarters. And all of a sudden, he just turns off into a room. And his little entourage scuttles in after him. And when they get in there, they see him talking to a janitor who's sweeping the room. And they hear the president ask him, tell me what you're doing here. What? Why are you here? And the janitor looks at him, and he says, well, Mr. President, I'm here to put a man on the moon. You see, that janitor, he saw his place in the president's story. By cleaning up offices and bathrooms and laboratories, he saw that he was a character in this big story, putting a man on the moon, on the moon winning the space race. Now, I know there's probably a lot of us in this room who would probably say, you know, I, I feel a little bit too good to be a janitor. You know, that's why I'm going to college after all. But just ask yourself this. Are you a part of a story that is so captivating, so enthralling that it can give meaning, worth, and purpose to cleaning up a toilet? Are you? I'm not dumb. I know that there's about 70% of you in this room who are thinking right now, okay, dude, that's a nice story. I liked it. But that's not how I live. I don't really see my life in a story, so I'm not really sure what you're talking about right now. But you see, the stories that we live in, they're so important to us that they're subconscious. It's like a fish trying to see water. It's around you. You don't even notice it. Just ask yourself this question. This is a test to see if you live in a story. This should be simple, by the way. Why are you in college? Why did you move into your dorm? Why are you taking out thousands of dollars in loans? Why are you spending hours in class and on homework? Why are you doing all this? Did you really just show up here? Or is it because you're a part of a story, a, a particularly middle class story? And it goes like this. You know, we go to school when we're little kids and we get into high school and you do really well in high school, at least well enough in high school, to go to a decent college so that you can get a degree, so that you can get the job that pays you the money, so you can live in the house and have the husband or the wife and the family and live, let's just be honest, a comfortable, good life. And this is just part of that story. So yeah, right after high school I went to college, but that's just what makes sense. And it just makes sense because it's part of a story. That's, that's why I came to college. I was... Thoroughly in the middle class narrative. <laughs> this is just what was next for me. You see, it's a prefabricated narrative. You didn't make it up. It's a story that we've been telling. It's a story that our lives tell. 
to someone who is maybe from a different uh, socioeconomic bracket than you, that story might not make a lot of sense. And what they're doing might not make a lot of sense to you because they're living in a different story than you. But to us, this just makes sense, right? Now, I want you to get this. I'm not saying that living in a story is wrong. I'm saying that it just is. We all live in stories. N.T. Wright wrote this. He said, what we see up close in a multitude of little incidents, whether isolated or more likely interrelated, all the little things that are happening in your life, every little event piling up, we make sense of by drawing on story forms already more or less known to us and placing the information within, and placing the information within them. Stories are the best way of talking about the way the world actually is. See, the problem isn't that we live in stories. The problem is that we rarely, if ever, stop and ask, what story am I living in? Do you know what story you're living in right now? We take the stories that we live in for granted, like they're just givens, but they're not just givens. And if you don't stop to think about it, your lifestyle, your friends, your present choices, your future choices, they're all going to be shaped by a story you didn't even choose. You'll be a pawn in someone else's scheme. Do you know what story you live in? More importantly, do you live in a true story? I don't just want to live in a good story. I want to live in a true story. I don't, I don't want to be fake. I don't think anyone out here wants to be fake. I want the true story. A story so compelling that it gives purpose to cleaning up a toilet. Back when I was a freshman, full disclosure, I never thought about this. This was not on my mind at all. In fact, I was sucked into a, a story, a narrative that I just kind of subconsciously accepted. I didn't even really think about it. And the narrative, for me at least, was this. College is the place, this is a story where you find your people. You get the girl, right? It's the narrative that's told in all kinds of movies out here. This is the narrative in, in Animal House, in Old School, in Revenge of the Nerds, in The Social Network, Pitch Perfect, and let's be honest, Monsters University. These are all the same story, every single one of them. Have you ever thought about it? You know, so for me, that was my story. And it was the story about these geeks, you know, <laughs> who find their place. By the critical mass of geekdom on every college campus, we find our place. And we get the girl and we find our group. And that was the story I was living in. So even though I came to Mizzou with a lot of friends, personally, I wanted something more than that. I wanted something more. And at first, things were great. I made a lot of friends. I even found a girl. I mean, everything was going right. But then it happened. It was a sense. It was an intuition. I couldn't break it. I had this unshakable feeling that even though the people I was chilling with were a lot of fun, they didn't really know me. We'd laugh. There'd be parties, a lot of good times. But there was never any substance. All of the booze, the hooking up, everything that came with the college life, I started to realize it was just numbing us to the reality that inside, for me at least, I felt really, really alone. That wasn't supposed to be the story. It wasn't about being alone. My story started collapsing around me. I didn't find my group. The girl that I found, well, she started cheating on me, so that took care of that. And I realized that this story I was living in was a phony. It was a fake. And I'm not really great at fake. So as a result, personally, I just started getting more 
and more depressed. I remember that was about the time when I started, for whatever reason, thinking about my funeral on a regular basis. And I would think, who would show up to my funeral? Who are my real friends? Would anyone be there? Sometime later, I'm in my Philosophy 1000 class, and I'm realizing that there is no God. It's a fact. It's a scientific fact, okay? And I realize if this is the case, there's no meaningful story, no meaningful purpose to my life. And if what I heard was true, this is the real story of the universe. In the beginning, there was a big bang. And 13 billion years later, man arose from the muck. And then as quickly, he disappeared. And I realized that I wanted to disappear. I didn't want to be here. Life without meaning, life that's a cosmic accident, it's not life worth living. So late one night, a little bit later, I'm, I'm in my dorm, and I'm contemplating suicide. This was something that became pretty regular for me at this time. And I realized that the only things that were holding me back, meaning, love, purpose, I realized they were all just illusions. They were illusions uh, concocted by that magician that hangs between my ears. They weren't real. They were just something that I thought was real. And all of these stories that we told as Americans to explain why our lives matter, they were fake too. They're just things that we told ourselves to feel like our lives had a purpose. I hated myself. I had no more reason to live. I was miserable. And so on that night, I got onto the staircase in my dorm, Hudson, and I started walking up to the seventh floor. And on that dark journey... Uh, I realized I agreed with the atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell. This is what he said. He said that if all of life is a cosmic accident, then humanity is destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. Nothing really matters. And the whole temple of man's achievement will inevitably be buried under the, under the debris of a universe in ruins. I can appreciate this guy. He's being honest about what he really believes. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, I was despairing, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. But I realized that wasn't a place that me, I could live. So I reached the seventh floor. I pried open a window and got big enough so that I could get my body outside of it. <laughs> I realized that in 80 years, hardly anyone would remember me. In 150 years, no one would remember anyone who ever remembered me. My life, it, it didn't matter. Russell was right. There was no meaning, no purpose. And so I pressed myself halfway out of that window. I remember I, I, was, I could see that uh, bridge out by Schur's and the um, dumpsters out behind plaza. And it felt higher than it should have. I mean, seven floors really isn't that high. And I realized that my college story I was living, it wasn't enough. It didn't fit with reality. And if the true story of the world was that it was all an accident, then I had no meaning. And so I started to lean forward. Let me just ask you a question. You know what story you're living in? Are you living in a true story? 
Do you know that story of living that tells you who you are, why you do what you do, why you wake up, why you dream what you dream? There's a lot of stories on campus. There's tons of them. And they all want your attention. See, maybe the story you're living in right now is college is for fun. I know the story well. You know, everything before this was just a prelude to the best time of my life, right? After this is all boring work and all that other nonsense. But for now, it's for fun. Faith and family, whatever, that's, that's in a day to come. So the reason why I wake up, why I go to school, why I'm here, it's for the weekends. I want to have a good time. Why do I wake up? Why do I choose what I want to do? Well, whatever makes me laugh, whatever makes me feel good, that's a story. But if that's your story, if you're just here for fun, are you, are you really having fun? Maybe you are right now. I get it. There's another story on campus. It's the find yourself story. You know, we're freed from our parents. This is the time to experiment, to try new things, to put on new genders, try new sexual expressions, look at new faiths, get new causes. This is why we wake up, why we hang out with who we hang out with, why we tweet what we tweet. It's so that we can find our own personal meaning, our own personal story about who we are, me as an individual. We even named a dorm after it. We called it Discovery. Not, that's right. We put, people on the, we put people on the front of Rolling Stone for it. And there's a side story that goes along with this. It's kind of like a brother story. Um, this is another one of our Mizzou pillars called Respect. And this is the you do you story. I hear that all the time. And this is, look, part of my story is I'm going to celebrate your little story, your little meaning. Yeah, there's no connection between the two of us, but you do you, you do your thing. But let me just ask you, is that, is that like personal little truth? Just me experiencing myself. Is that enough to explain everything? Is that little personal story, you do you? Is that enough to explain why you should care about someone, love someone? Or maybe you're living in the be someone story. We came here to build a resume, right? This is why we wake up to hang out with the right people, to make the right connections, to get the right internships. We're involved in the, you know, Mizzou involvement cult. Why? So that we can fulfill our dream of becoming a someone. At Mizzou, we call this excellence. We call this responsibility. Now, let me just say, those are good things. I love excellence and responsibility, but I think that might be what we mean. There are Super Bowl quarterbacks with Super Bowl girlfriends who are the biggest who's who in the world, and they will tell you, I don't have it figured out. Months before I was hanging out of that window in Hudson Hall, I was running through these columns. There you go. I had no idea I was running underneath stories. Discovery, respect, responsibility, excellence. I had no idea that people here were vying for my loyalty. They were telling me a story. I was just subconsciously accepting it all. And I was hanging out of that window. I was leaning forward because each one of these stories, they came up short. They just weren't enough. So I'm getting ready to fall. And my phone rings. I know that sounds... All right. (laughs) Kind of like that. And it sounds really stupid right now when I say this. 
But that phone ringing was like a wake-up call. I, I, I can't explain it. It was the weirdest thing. But when that, when that phone rang, it just this, it forced this question into my head and into my heart. Yes, none of these college stories, they didn't work out for you. Yes, there is no meaning if there is no God. That's right. But what if there is a God? And what if he's got a story for your life that's bigger and better and truer than anything you could have ever imagined? And that story, that question, it pulled me back in through that window. Can I be honest with you? I didn't, I did not know this then. But it was Jesus pulling me back through that window, pulling me back into a new story, pulling me back into a true reality. And my life was never the same. You see, all the stories that we're hearing on campus, all the stories I heard, they were about me, my success, my identity, my fun, my whatever. But I needed something more. There was a UCAL study recently, a sociological study, and it was looking at, regardless of finances, health, trials, all of that, what made people the most fulfilled. So regardless of your circumstances, what was the key to fulfillment and happiness? And you know what the answer was? Love other people more than yourself. It's really simple. I, I mean, it's so simple, it almost sounds stupid, but that was it. It turns out that if fulfillment and happiness is any gauge of what's reality, what's the true story, then the true story can't be one of these stories that's just about me and my happiness. It's got to be a story that forces me outside of myself, that forces me to look at other people. And that UCAL study, it, it just reminded me of a teaching by a first century Palestinian Jew. And this is what he said. He said, the secret to life is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This carpenter who said this, he turned into an itinerant preacher and a miracle worker. And his name was Jesus. But he didn't just come to give us these nice tidbits of wisdom. He came to give us a story. And it was an ancient story. It's a story of a God who made a good world. And the people he gave it to, to take care of it, they broke it. They didn't just break it, they did it intentionally. And God, rather than turning his back on them, rather than throwing away everything he made, rather than ignoring them, he said, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to get involved. And so he did. And he worked through messed up families, through a nation of slaves, through wayward kings, through brokenhearted exiles, to bring about his son, to send his own son to, to move into the neighborhood, to become one of us. And that son, he lived the most beautiful story that's ever been told. He died because he told everybody the truth. He said, look all around you. You see all this? I'm the king of all of it. And so they crucified him. And then... He rose from the dead. I mean, just stop and think about this for a second. Just look into the historical facts. It's actually really difficult to disprove. This guy actually physically rose from the dead. And he didn't just raise from the dead to, to prove that, hey, I am the king of the world. He did it to show what his plan for all of the world was. 
He wants to resurrect all of creation. He wants to bring us and be a part of that. He wants to make a new kingdom where there's no sadness, no evil, no pain, no hurt. And that's what he came to do to bring about his kingdom. JFK, when he's in front of the nation, he says, I'm going to put a man on the moon and that captivates us. But Jesus has a far better story to tell. And he put it like this. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. You see, God has a story for your life. And God is inviting you and me to be a part of his kingdom. And by the way, I just want you to know, this isn't a story for perfect people, for moral people. It's a story for people like me, people who can't even begin to count how many problems they have. If you want to be a part of that story, Jesus, he, he shows us this um, by calling us first to repentance. Here's what he means. He's saying, you don't have to be perfect, but let me tell you this. You've got to turn away from all of those old rival stories. You've got to turn away from the sins and the idols and the evil and the wrongdoing that you do when you live in those false stories. But it's not just turning away from something. He says to believe. He says, let me give you a new story. Let me tell you something. God has a story for your life. A story so true, so compelling, that even if all you got to do for the rest of your life was clean toilets, you'd have meaning and you'd have purpose. God's word shows us this. There's an ancient Jewish sermon attributed to Moses. And in it, he's just talking to, to everyday Joe. He's talking to, to everyday Israelite farmers. We'll just call him Farmer Joe. And this is what he tells Farmer Joe to do. He says, okay, every three years, I want you to take the first fruit that grows on every tree you own. And you're going to put it into a basket. And then you're going to carry all those fruits with you to uh, God's tent, which was called the tabernacle. And when you get there with all your fruits, you know, Farmer Joe's going along, you're going to put it in front of the priest, okay? And then I want you to make a response, a verbal response to the priest. I want you to say something. Now, what do you think that farmer should say? Maybe you think he would give a prayer of thanksgiving. Maybe a song. Maybe a theological confession of faith. You know what Moses tells him to tell the priest? story and it's god's story by the way and it's not just god's story it's farmer joe's ancestor's story and it turns out it's also farmer joe's story so i'm just going to read it to you this is what the farmer says he puts his fruit down before the priest and this is what he says he says my father was a wandering aramean this was a guy named jacob uh, god changed his name to israel and from this guy israel um he, he made all of his people. And, and he continues, he says, And he went down into Egypt with a few people. There weren't many then. And they lived there. And over about 400 years, they became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians, they mistreated us. You notice the first person pronoun, us. Farmer Joe wasn't there for this. He didn't see any of this happen. But he, he says it, us, like he was present, like this is his story. They mistreated us, they made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. God sees your hurt right now. 
So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with great terrors and signs and wonders. He saved them. He took these slaves and he took them out of the Egyptians' hands. And he brought us to this place. And he gave us this land, the land that Farmer Joe is farming every day. God gave that land to my ancestors. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good place. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. I love this. Because you see, Moses wanted Farmer Joe to see his story inside of God's big story of redemption. Every time Farmer Joe was out tilling his soil, he knew that every particle of dirt that he turned over was a gift from God. And so after he uh, sets down his fruit, he says this. You know what he does? He picks the fruit back up. And then he goes and he feeds that fruit, not like hand to mouth, but he hands it out, you know, to all of the widows and the orphans in Israel. Think about it. God is the God who hears the prayers of the poor and the lowly and the hurting, and he provides for them. And what does Farmer Joe go out and do? He goes out and he hears the cries of the poor and the lonely, and he provides for them. His life starts telling God's story. He's living in it. It's becoming his story. That's what God wants for all of us. He wants it so that when we turn in our first math assignment, as miserable as it might have been from a guy like me, you know, he wants it. So that we turn it in as our first fruits, as, as saying, look, this, God, God gave me the mind to do this. This is yours. God wants it so that when we're in our apartments, when we're with our friends, when we're in our dorms, when we're in our classes, we're living in his story. We see our lives in his story. That's why this semester at Veritas, we're doing a series called The Stories We Tell. And we're going to be looking at the great stories in the Bible, the stories that God is telling precisely because... We want you guys, all of us, me included, to live in that story together. To get a true story, a compelling story, a story that gives purpose to cleaning up toilets. See, I want us to be like Alan Tibbles. This is a guy who the New York Times Magazine called the wheelchair missionary. That's a kind of tight name. I wish I could have that name. Um, when Alan was your age, though, he was fun, he was athletic. And by age 26, he had a wife, he had two kids, and one day he's playing a game of pickup basketball, and he's driving to the basket, and he trips, and he hits his head against the wall, and when he wakes up, he can't use his arms or legs. Freak accident. At first, he battled with a pretty understandable depression and darkness, at least until he came to this profound conviction. This is what he said. Breaking my neck is God's will for my life. <laughs> I can't even imagine saying that. This is what he's saying. He's saying God had a story for my life. It doesn't feel like this is part of his story for my life, but you know what? God has a story for my life, and I'm, I'm going to live in his story because this is part of his plan for my life. And so he moves home. And life's pretty uncomfortable for him, understandably. He's a quadriplegic. But for Alan Tibbles, he wasn't uncomfortable enough. So he convinces his wife to move him and their two kids into a rat-infested house in Sandtown, Baltimore, one of the most dangerous drug-addled neighborhoods in the entire city. And when they get down there, everybody thinks he's either a cop or a drug dealer. And the first guy who tries to mug him, he invites to church. 
So Alan Tibbles, he's looking around the neighborhood, and this is what he sees. He sees broken windows and crumbling foundations and landlords who are bleeding their tenants for rent. And he realized that those houses, they were telling the people in Sandtown a story. A story about their worth or lack thereof. He decided he wanted to tell them a new story. He wanted to tell them the story that God was telling in his life. And so he calls Habitat for Humanity. And over the next 30 years, he overhauls almost 250 houses in Sandtown. He renovates nearly 15 square city blocks of Sandtown. People who were paying $600 for their rent were now paying $300 for their mortgage. They owned a place. He hired ex-cons and drug dealers so he could give them a purpose and a job and help them to make money. He was telling them a story. A story about a kingdom where there isn't pain, where there isn't evil. Before he died, people would have said, Alan, you saved Sandtown. But Alan was always quick to correct them. He would say, no, 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 God saves. Jesus was the first person to move into the neighborhood and take care of the needy and the lost. He said, me, I'm, I'm just living in that story. I'm just telling his story. Alan Tibbles, he, he could have let his disability define his story. He could have let it be the thing that he was remembered for. But he didn't. He turned away from it. Instead, he trusted Jesus to give him his story. So let me ask you this. Is Mizzou defining your story? Are your friends defining your story? Is your Greek house defining your story? Is your just moment defining your story? Or will you stop and ask and think, is this the story I want to live in? Is there a better story out there? So I'm just going to end with a simple question. It's the one I keep saying over and over and over again because we ignore it too easily. Do you know what story you're living in today? Finding your friends. College is fun. Be yourself. Find yourself. Be a someone. Take a morning. Take an hour and just ask, what story am I living in? You see, Jesus died to, to change the story of the whole world. He died to change your story. He died because he loves you. And he wants to give you and your life a new story. There's a lot of you here tonight who have tried the whole Christian thing. Or maybe you've never tried it, but you know, you're new and you're willing to give it a shot. And let me just say this, whether you're new or you're old like me, the steps are all the same. Repent, turn away from the old story. I got to do that every morning. Turn away from those old stories and believe. Trust in Jesus' story for your life. Trust that by his death and his resurrection, he's bringing about a new kingdom and you can be a part of it. We can be a part of it together. Jesus put it simply. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. If you do that, your story will never be the same i'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and i just want to say this if you uh, are new um we have some bibles down here um and if you want to start learning about this story we want to give them to you for free um if you're thinking about what this means for your life to to be in a new story and you want to talk to someone i'll be down here some staff will be down here we'd love to talk to you but let me tell you this God has a story for your life, and we're excited to explore that story with you this semester.